recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada. A Get a Grip management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, this is Restoring Darkness podcast. This episode of Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to evluma.com, hover over products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and Ariamax lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer color temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With Ariamax lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to sky glow. And all of Avluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back folks to the Restoring Darkness podcast. On today's show, I have very honored to have Terry McGowan. Um, Terry is involved in the illuminating engineering, lighting design, lighting education, and lighting research field for a long time. He's been in the game 60-plus years and includes GE Lighting at Nella Park, where he was the manager of the GE Lighting Institute. In 1998, he started his own consulting company, Lighting Ideas, Inc., became involved in lighting research and was director of the Lighting Research Office for the Electrical Power Research Institute. These days, in addition to consulting work, he acts on behalf of the American Lighting Association um, as their Director of Engineering and Technology and is the Executive VP of the J.H. McClung Lighting Research Foundation. He is a Fellow of the Illuminating Engineering Society and the 2009 recipient of the IES Medal Award in recognition of his work as a lighting educator, researcher, and author. But all this lighting stuff, darkness lovers, is important, but you'll have you know that... Mr. McGowan and his wife, Charlotte, are lifetime members of the International Dark Sky Association. And it looks like on this bio here, he was member number five. Um, Terry, tell me a little bit about how you started to get involved with the IDA, and then we'll go from there. Well, as you probably know, the founder, Dr. David Crawford, uh, one of the two mm -hmm. founders, I should say, um, was not shy about talking about uh, dark skies and, and the IDA. So... One day he came to Cleveland, Ohio, and talked at the Museum of Natural History, and I went down to hear him. And I must say I was captivated. Uh, his story was clear. It was very much positive. It involved lighting as it should be done. And I don't know how many hours we spent after his lecture talking about it, but from then on, why, I was a, I was a convert. I was a dark sky person. And even though I was working at the time for GE Lighting uh, and lighting was, outdoor lighting was certainly big business, uh, it, it gave rise to this whole idea that I had that light pollution is really a lack of lighting quality. And so that idea grew and I actually uh, was involved in writing a, a publication at that time. It was a periodical that GE Lighting produced was called Light Magazine, and it mm. uh, was, oh, 20, 30 uh, years old. So uh, Light Magazine had a special issue on darkness, and Dave Crawford 
did some articles for it, provided some of the glorious pictures of the night sky. And so that was really, I believe, the first time that uh, dark sky ideas, and certainly the IDA, made its appearance in a commercial lighting industry publication in a way that says, come on, folks, let's, let's do this right. Light is for people. Light is for spaces. It isn't electric lighting into the sky is not one of the rules that we should follow. And indeed, uh, we can do a lot about that in terms of lighting quality and recommendations and all the other things that we're good at. So that to me was the beginning of my dark sky movement and it's gone on since then. So let me ask you this then, um, until recently, I know that <clears throat> the IES and, and um, the IDA have released their five principles of responsible outdoor lighting, which I think is fantastic by the way. Uh, the way the simple way that it's laid out and the fact that it's one, two, three, four, five. It's a great, great place to, to begin. And then uh, the Nailed Committee, which is the sponsor of this podcast, also put out six strategies to um, to, to, to work towards that. And I, I thought that was great. But what I noticed um, is hostility between the IDA and the lighting industry um, prior, especially in the LED era. Um, I felt like there was progress in my, just my observational career from about 1998 when I entered the business to about the LED boom. And then everything seemed to collapse. Dark skies was off the table. Everything was about energy efficiency. And then when I listen to some presentations, I feel some hostility towards the lighting industry. Number one question, was there, doesn't sound like there was hostility in the beginning. If there was hostility between the two parties, how did it start? Well, there, there was certainly hostility. Fortunately, uh, David Crawford is one of those people who is not hostile. <laughs> and he came with a positive message and uh, he was embraced the lighting community over time, especially so that they became really very good at conversing and exchanging ideas. And of course, the culmination of that are, is the five principles idea that you talked about in you know, I, I do agree. That is really a milestone. And there is an MOU mm -hmm. between the Illuminating Engineering Society and IDA right now uh, that goes beyond those those five principles, by the way. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a positive long-term relationship. But there's no question, you know, the industry looks upon uh, somebody who seeks to limit the industry as, as something of an opponent. Uh, you know, it, it really says the, the typical thing, and, and you've seen it, uh, I'm sure. Uh, somebody goes into a, a lighting distributor and says, hey, I got a rush job. I need a floodlight. Uh, what do you got on sale? And out comes the bare bulb or the par lamp and no, no glare control, no thought about light pollution. And, okay, here it is, and we got it at a discount today. So done. And another bad lighting job goes up. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, but somebody makes money on it. And of course that's good. But uh, the fact that lighting is thoughtless is not good. And we need to really embrace these ideas. It needs to do as you have been doing. And I congratulate this on, Thank you. congratulate you on this, getting it through the distribu distribution and contracting parts of the lighting industry because they do so much lighting and it's spur of the moment lighting, it's off the shelf lighting, it is get it done fast lighting. 
But that's really where a lot of the lighting, light pollution comes from. How many driveways have you seen where the minute you turn into somebody's driveway, it's the uh, bright par lamp over the garage aimed right at you that, mm. that provides the main lighting as you, as you try to drive up the driveway. And, and that's going to be light pollution because it's going to go in the sky and everywhere else. You know, I, I, I don't understand the resistance. I, and and I, I can't say I never have because I in the past I did. You know, um, when we were, you know, headlong into energy efficiency, 5,000 Kelvin, um, you know, uh, it seemed like a great idea. You know, when you first time, the first time I was driving, you know, home and the first building that had LEDs that we did on my drive home, I thought, wow, that building is so bright. It looks great. But the problem is now... Every building is lit up like that, and mm -hmm. it's just a big, massive um, uh, waste of electricity and light, and it's spilling all over the place, and it's filled with glare, and glare is not light. Glare is the reduction of visual acuity. But what I don't understand from now that I've you know done all this research, I still encounter resistance, and I encounter resistance you know, not from distributors specifically, because we deal with distributors a lot. They're happy to do it. They just don't, they're responding to customers. So distributors are in a yeah. position where, you know, there was, the customer comes in. Believe me, I have tried to sell dark sky jobs, Terry. It's extremely difficult to go to a client and say, you're going to have less light. It's not going to be white. And um, we're going to focus it down in the area where you need it. And you're going to pay double. Like that's a tough <laughs> argument to make. But for the lighting yeah. industry at the top level, this is about selling way more light fixtures. Like it's not bad for business. And I think there's still a lot of people that don't agree with or can't see that. Um, would you agree that, you know, maybe it's the manufacturers or, you know, I don't know if it's the, I think the IES is 100% on board. But, I mean, where is this resistance to change coming from? And why is it there? I think it's it's from consumers certainly, and and some people in the lighting industry, of course, too. Uh, but but consumers have not been educated on this. They hear about it once in a while. Unfortunately, uh, the IDA and and now the IES are really doing much more in consumer education. But we've always had a long term and large consumer education problem in the lighting industry. You know, mm -hmm. we use funny we, language. We talk in Kelvins or color rendering index or lumens. And, you know, people don't understand that. They, If they heard of something in a high school science class, why, that was long ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got to do a bigger job and a better job of that. And I think both the IES and the IDA recognize that now. Well, okay, so they then they, and they started um, – with the with the five principles, but before we educate the consumers, like we, nailed, our association has been working on a darkness training program. We don't even want to say dark mm -hmm. skies because we don't think it encompasses the whole, um, like astronomy and stargazing is a part of it. But there's also dark earth, which is important as yes. well, and dark water, which is important as well. Um, and so we're not even sure what to call it, but we, you know, we we feel like before we try to educate consumers, let's see if we can get the members of Nailed educated. And then we reached out to Namco and Ayla and a couple other what we're calling frontline lighting um, people that deal with with con with contractors and end user customers. Can we get all get on the same page with this education? 
um, because I feel like the industry itself is in need, never mind the consumers, but first the industry, the order desk people, the, the sales guys, on the, or gals on the road, and the people answering phones, they need to be aware of this as well. Um, is the IES doing anything, or do you, are you aware of anything where we're, they're talking about educating the industry? Uh, they're not doing much of that right now. They've been reorganizing their outdoor lighting committees, as you may know, mm. so that they're more focused on some of these things. Uh, but, you know, Michael, one, one thing I think is really missing, in it, that is the metrics. We don't have a good way to describe light pollution. There, there are several ways that the astronomers use. One hasn't really popped up as being popular. And, and yeah, there, there are things we could do there. But, but I think once you get a, a scale on it or a magnitude, uh, automatically it gets competitive. I mean, what, what are baseball games without knowing the, the, the scores of the teams? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it is a way to quantify what the problem is and how well you are successfully uh, getting a hold of it and, and making it less. So we do need that. We need some kind of measurement or guideline as as to how we are doing. And frankly, we're not doing very well. You know, uh, light pollution, and I, I just happened to look at this today, This and I found a, an interesting number. Light pollution is growing twice as fast as the population of the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. That's That's got to be bad news. We got to do something about that. Sure, we all deserve to have some nighttime lighting for for beauty and for functionality, but do we need it to grow that way? I mean, why can't we limit it, especially from an environmental standpoint, and bring in energy too, if you wish? But that's that's out of control, and we ought to do something about that. And and the reality is that we, you know, with you take an environmental issue like car, climate change, or you know. Uh, methane or carbon dioxide and or you take plastics in the ocean these are difficult problems to solve i mean they're, they're still in the mm -hmm. research and development stage they're they're they haven't even come down to the engineering phase in many aspects and then forget about deployment right from the lighting industry perspective when it comes to light pollution it's a matter of deployment that's it it's just a matter mm -hmm. of will and energy and what you said the problem is that there is no sales proposition for this. You're a hundred percent right. Like you mm -hmm. can't sit in front of a customer and, and give them an ROI about the Beatles. Um, they're not going to care about the, <laughs> the 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 stink Beatles or the you know Western you know squawking macaque that you know, whatever bird flies through. They, people don't really think about that, and I don't know where those metrics are going to come from, which is why. We need to get the regulators involved. We need to get the, 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 the bylaw people involved in these local municipalities. They already, most of them already have a lighting ordinance in place that, you know, they need to blow the dust off, you know, literally <laughs> blow the dust off of it and realize one of the reasons why I think there is resistance, though, from some of the bylaw officers, because the municipality is the number one um, sort of offender with their streetlights. Oh, I, I think that's a very good point. Yes. And especially older street lighting. Uh, you know, the old high pressure sodium, metal halide, mercury street lights uh, in the in the in the glowing bottles. They were just glowing glass or plastic bottles. They sent light everywhere and you know, the light control was virtually nil. 
But the good news there is that with LEDs, because they're directional, they can they mm -hmm. almost are automatically controllable so that light pollution does not go up into the sky. Uh, stray light is, is more easily controlled. It's less expensive to control it. It's more efficient to control it. So I think mm -hmm. LEDs in that way have been a, a real boon to outdoor lighting. I don't worry so much about street lighting anymore as being uh, a generator of light pollution. I worry more about the uncontrolled light, the flood lighting, the security lighting, the unshielded lights that still are everywhere. But street lights are, are behaving. Uh, and some would say in the dark sky community, no, we haven't solved the color problem. And, I, and that's true. White light is not as good as uh, light that is managed and limited in spectral content for dark skies. But that's something I think we can deal with, especially now with uh, colors of LED light sources being so easy to change and control. And on top of that, you mentioned the control piece, which I find, you know, right now uh, from PNNL's testing various control systems, and we've spoken to them on the mm -hmm. on their, our sister podcast, the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, and about how they're they're trying to find you know good lighting control systems that are easy to use and do what they say they're going to do, and some do, and, and some are failing, but they're all out there. Everybody's pawing around for um, a business case for these advanced controls, mm -hmm. whether it be zero to ten volt, digital, you know, whatever the different ones you're talking about, you know, interactive on your phone or on a computer with a hub or whatever. But there, the, the place where I see for societal benefit, okay, the deployment of lighting controls is there is such a huge argument for that in this space, in the darkness space. I yes. Mean, with uh, color tuning and, um, you know, being able to increase light levels if there's an emergency of some kind and having somebody that would actually use the controls, like the municipalities have the scope, the size, and the simplicity it's not a ton of different kinds of lights they have to manage. It's their street lights or it's their, you mm -hmm. know, whatever. Uh, how, why isn't that the industry focused on that control play as the first place, the most obvious place to go? I mean, you could see Seattle turning off their street lights for bird migrations or turning the, the color down or dimming them or whatever. There's such a huge argument there for that. Um, why is the industry not talking about that? Well, it is, I, but we talk to ourselves a lot, I think, as, <laughs> as we've discussed sometimes before. We, we love talking to ourselves, and a lot of the advertising goes to other lighting people. So that's part of it. Again, it's this communication with the public. But I'm working on a project right now for a retirement community. Now, now here you've got to do lighting for older eyes on pathways, on streets. Hmm. Some people still drive cars, so you've got parking lots and and that kind of thing. But what we came up with, and we're putting up a test installation almost as we speak here, uh, we, we decided to go with some well-shielded lighting, LED of course, uh, that had not only occupancy or present sensors, so if a person walked by, it would brighten up, otherwise it would be dimmed down. But one of these centralized control systems, and we're using a wireless mesh control system that we can program with an app so that we will be able to adjust the light output of each luminaire to suit its location. Hmm. And that to me is a breakthrough. 
because yes. if this is a, a low pedestrian area, it's going to get a lower light level, but it will still get a light level for the security so people don't fall. We worry a lot about that in a, in a retirement community. And I think what we'll find is that people are perfectly satisfied as, if the light is there when they need it. And if it's on the path and it isn't a glare bomb when you're walking toward it. So reduce glare, put light where you need it, control it. And I think you've got a magic formula that will work. And I think that's promotable. Once that word gets out in pictures and press and all the stuff we're, we're good at, of course, um, I think it's going to change lighting. I hope so. Now, I don't know if you saw our, our darkness committee, uh, darkness restoration and preservation committee put out six strategies. Did you, did you ever come across those? I, I, I've heard about them, but I haven't read them, and I didn't okay. quite know where to find them. So where, where do you find them? I have them right here. Uh, um, and these are the um, six. Industry alignment is number one. Yeah. Followed okay. by advocacy, mm -hmm. training, certification, enforcement, mm -hmm. and incentives. Mm. And I th And this was when we had a group of distributors together, and they're like, how are you going to sell dark sky fixtures? Can't do it. All right. If you could do it, how would it work, right? And I think really it was very – I was so impressed by this because it, we, it came about in response to the IES and IDA's five principles. And we said, here, take this and go sell dark sky lighting. And they're all like, we can't do it because, you know, the industry is not aligned to this. You can't find many – most manufacturers do not have a, um, a, a page on their website of outdoor lighting listing the fixtures mm -hmm. that are internationally dark sky approved. Or, yep. the, or even talk about, you know, shielding. They have them in the accessories section, but they're not, mm -hmm. you know, they're not married together. So the, the distributors who buy from manufacturers have a hard time finding, um, you know, like, listen, obviously if you're specifying a project and there's a lighting designer involved and all that sort of stuff, you can get through these barriers. But if you're on the order desk, you need to have the information at your fingertips because the guy wants to know a price right now. Right, so it needs sure. to be. This is the dark sky section. The second thing is, that's the advocacy piece, which is what you're talking about. Let's get the public involved. Let's get someone that. Let, and what I thought of when I heard that, Terry, and, and I want to get your your thoughts on this is, why isn't the environmental movement involved in this? You know, where uh, where is the environmental movement? Can they grab onto this with us at the same time? You know, people that really care about the environment. You know, I was talking to Jim Benny about this. They were doing a bridge and, you know, he's like, if we put lights under this bridge, you're going to kill a whole bunch of sea mammals and wreck yeah. patterns of, you know, whatever. How do we get the environment, that advocacy piece, how do we get the environmentalists to know about this and recognize it as real pollution? Well, I think it's just like we got the medical community to pay attention to the lighting industry uh, with some Amen. of the light and health work. Mm. Uh, and, and I and we're doing it. In fact, uh, I have one project this summer. I've spent a lot of time on it, but I don't know if you've ever heard of a, an organization called the Chautauqua Institution. No, uh, it's in New York State. It's been there oh since the 1800s or so. Thomas Edison used to vacation there, but uh, let me just call it a summer camp for adults because it's got us. Uh, multi-week program in the arts and literature and music and opera and religion and pop speakers and uh, really they get into everything. Well, week six of their season this year is going to be on the night and dark mm. skies. 
So it's going to be a week-long look, and it's going to be uh, headed by National Geographic magazine showing, I'm sure, some spectacular pictures of dark skies. But we're going to have uh, 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 sky parties, uh, you know, telescopes out where people can look through them and look at the stars. And we're going to find dark spaces on the grounds where we can do this. And by no coincidence at all, we just finished a relighting of the Chautauqua Institution, which is several hundred acres, uh, with dark sky lighting. So we're going to see how good that stuff is. Mm. And can we see the stars even with that in place? But to me, that's exactly the kind of thing that you mentioned. We've got to get out there with people who are thoughtful, who make decisions, who are part of the industry and who are not, and get them to be thinking about this. And the good thing about this week is not just dark skies are involved, but all kinds of environmental impacts of darkness, why mm. we need the light, mm. while people need the light, uh, while plants and animals need both light and dark in proper phased application. So, you know, it's, we got to tell the whole story and there's plenty of literature, there's plenty of experts, there's plenty of people that will talk about this and this stuff has got to get out. And I think, you know, I believe you absolutely that we, we are part of this. We've got to do it in the lighting industry and we've got to do it in people that, like yourselves who, who speak publicly, who get out, talk to others and get feedback. Feedback's very important. What, what, what does the average person think about this? What do we need to tell them? How do we need to get that message across? What's the favorite way that they like to communicate these days? I mean, I'm, I'm glad to, to put it on Zoom or to send it as a, 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 a message or whatever they want, but we'll, we mm -hmm. want to get it out there. You know, I'm, 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 I'm of two minds on the next point on the advocacy piece, because I think the environmentalists are, are going to come on board. Like I, I, I don't have a. I think they're going to see it. I know the IDEA, IDEA is doing a lot of work with that, and like you know, kind of building consensus around that light pollution is pollution. Here's my here's my one concern. I'd love to see politicians get on board, but I'd hate to see the issue become politicized. You know where mm -hmm. that it, it becomes it, it ends up in it, as a left wing a right wing issue like it yeah, goes into yeah. something where then now there's mudslinging you want to turn off the safety and you know like where it becomes yeah. where one like one liners become the the issue how do we avoid like as we embrace the environmental movement we want to avoid this issue becoming political although we want politicians to be supporting it, we don't want it to be captured by one party or the other or become sort of a weapon used back and forth. How do we avoid that trap? Michael, I think that's the toughest question you've ever asked me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I frankly don't know. And these days, it's, it's so easy for things to become politicized. And you're right. We, this is something that should not be politicized. Yeah, there's this ongoing question, does, does light reduce crime? And, and we know the answer to that. There's lots of research on it now. Mm -hmm. The British research some years ago settled that question uh, pretty definitively. But you're, you're always going to find people that said, well, you know, we always put a light up because we know it reduces crime or we can uh, see better and, from our window or, or things like that. And they're all true in a way. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the overall numbers, no, light doesn't reduce crime. If, if it did, we'd have less crime in the, in the uh, uh, daytime than we do in the nighttime. And you know, there's, there's all kinds of reasons that you can logically think through this, but people have. And uh, somehow we've got to tell the story environmentally because people do, are 
more understanding of the environment these days. We know we've got environmental problems we've got to solve. And if light is one of them, then we've got to figure out how we can have light at night, where we need it, when we need it, without glare and without, without negative effects on the environment. And that's a tough order, but it's doable. We've been doing it and we've got to get a thoughtful approach to it, as you say, and not, not a political approach. So I, I guess I come down on, on, let's not do this politically. Let's do it thoughtfully and, and uh, accurately with a very positive approach, the kind of thing that the IDA has, has been famous for, really. Their approach is positive. Get it done, get it in legislation, get it so people ask for it, show them by example, all those good things we know how to do uh, usually tells the story better than trying to make it political. And I, it's okay if it's political. I just don't want it politicized. Like I think the, yes, yes, I see. There's a difference. Right yeah, right. like I don't mind politicians debating. You know, the level of light. I just don't want yeah. one side to capture it and use it as a, uh, as a, as a, uh, uh, you know, um, a weapon. The, uh, you know, the other thing about it, you know, political too, is the lighting industry risks being regulated. Then, like that's another issue that. I think the IES or, uh, you know, I don't know if they're best positioned to deal with it, but that someone has to look at it and say, okay, what has happened in the past when we've had crude regulations on us? Or, you know, I, and I, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but the, the incandescent ban, for example, you know, mm -hmm. banning by source type is very crude. We can do so much better than that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to go and ban a source necessarily in order to get your objective achieved. You know, when you ban sure. a source, you're kind of like, you know, it's, it doesn't, I, I find that to be extremely crude and only done by people that don't know that much about lighting. So I want to, I want to avoid that regulation piece and see if we can do it on our own. Um, I asked you about training, you know, what nailed is doing. We're working on a darkless curriculum with Jim Benya, who's, our consultant yes. and he's helping us out with that. Um, and we're trying to involve the other frontline and the word frontline is used a lot, but frontline lighting people who sell to the end user. The next piece mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about is certification. What we would like to mm -hmm. see is that individuals and companies can gain some sort of certification with, um, you know, on a business card, IDA certified or, or, you know, darkness certified or something like that, I, you know, so that there's a differentiation between those who are practicing and have earned this mark through education and, and time in the industry and those that don't. How do you feel about the certification piece and who do you think is best positioned to award the certification? Well, I, it's already started. That, that's more good news. Um, and, and you're probably familiar with the term DLC, Design mm -hmm. Lights Consortium. Mm -hmm. uh, they have just completed their first dark sky uh, certification effort. And uh, this is now published. Uh, I was on one of the committees that helped put it together. Mm -hmm. And I, I found a great deal of cordiality as well as interest in making this happen. So let's say you want a street or an area light these days, there is a certification process with a DLC that you can go through to have that luminaire certified. And I would urge people to do that. Uh, the utilities do it. That's, that's their go-to source for 
certification of sure. uh, energy efficient lighting products. And so what you have with this certification is both energy efficiency and control of straight light in one certification. So I can say that after quite a bit of effort and uh, uh, the DLC is, is very careful about being exact, getting input, doing it right, all of that, um, their, their process is good. Uh, we, we have such a certification. Now, how do we get that on the kind of stuff that goes up over a garage door or it's non-utility? But that's where I'm uh, saying I think the Luna program is yeah. fantastic, but they're certifying products. I, I want to see people products. certified. I want to see people yes. receiving, um, you know, that, you know, um, lighting distributors like they have on their cards, LS1, LS2, LC, these different designations. Mm -hmm. So that they can point to when they're speaking to a client and say, you know, hey, I also have my LS dark skies and uh, yeah. or my LS darkness. I'd like to see people be certified as well as the products. And I think, you know, I know that they've worked really hard on the Luna program. Jim's told me a lot about it, actually, Jim Benya, mm -hmm. um, that he was on that committee as well. And that's moving forward. But is there anyone that's putting together darks, darkness certified people and companies? Not that I know of. And yes, this, this might be a good opportunity for some of the many organizations now writing uh, educational material for lighting distributors and really the general public. So yes, I'm firmly in, in favor of that, but I don't believe there is any organization right now. See, I think it has to be in cooperation with the IDA. I don't think any, like for example, Nailed, I don't think we have the authority to certify people you know, legitimately as a board of directors. We can do it for LS1, mm -hmm. we can do it for LS2, and then we lead people to LC where we kind of lose our authority. We say, okay, we can't get you an LC. You have to go to NCQLP for that, but we're going to get you to the point where you're going to take the exam and we'll even host a training session for that at our convention for you, but we don't have the authority to issue that. I think it's, mm -hmm. I think that Nailed has to be in cooperation with, you know, Nalmco, Ayla, the other frontliners, um, the controls guys. And then the IDA is now certifying that final exam. So the people are getting that from them, that their authority yes. comes from the IDA. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with that. And I think maybe it even goes beyond the ID, IDA and into the environmental groups who, are more concerned with the outdoor environment, generally speaking. So yes, IDA certification has certainly worked well for the IDA fixture seal of approval program. And there there are hundreds of fixtures now under that program, and I'm beginning to, to see them advertised in uh, you know trade press as well as on site in, in big box stores and that kind of thing. So this is good. But I think also a course uh, part of a training, a certificate, a uh, reward, whatever you want to call it, to get it done so that people know that there are trained folks who know how to do dark skylighting. Mm -hmm. I think you're, that's a key element, and yet that is really yet to be developed. And I think like, I think where the sales the sales piece takes us, Terry, for a lighting distributor or a contract, let's say a Naumco member or a Nailed member out mm -hmm. there or an Ala member, someone who's a rep, where, where that's going to start to kick is when you know um sam banks provincial park in ontario is looking to say you know what i think we can do better on our lighting who should we call you know they're not going to go straight uh -huh. to the product 
You know, they're not going to go straight. They're going to want someone that can be an integrator. They're going to want someone that can advise them on pole height and on different things. Not just tell them this fixture, because you can take that IDA approved fixture and mount it differently and, and create a glare bomb with it, right? So, um, there, you know, I think that we really, the industry really needs certification for individuals and companies as well. Um, and then the sales piece is going to come from, initially, it's going to come from parks, from... Uh, you know, different areas that are, are looking to improve the dark sky experience for, for tourists and visitors. And then we're going to see it grow from there. Um, how do you feel about enforcement? And that's one of the, um, the strategies is for the industry to somehow connect with the local bylaw officers. You know, they have a lot yeah. of power here, you know, where they could... You know, where, you know, they have those, like we talked about it, blowing those ordinances off. Like, I wouldn't suggest the industry go and try to change every local ordinance. I would say work with whatever's on the books. If, if there's something on the books already, start working with it and, and maybe even offer education and advocacy work to the bylaw officers. Train them, talk to them, engage with them in some way so that they know the industry's here to support them. So if they actually go and enforce sure. the laws, there's certified people in their town that can come and say, yeah, well, what you can do to have a safe and secure parking lot and area here is to do this, and then you're not going to be spilling all that light into the neighborhood backyards next door. Um, you know, how can the lighting industry get into helping with enforcement? Well, uh, you're right about that. Enforcement is needed. And of course, the IDA does enforcement in a very positive way with their dark sky places program. Mm -hmm. Because if you were designated an IDA, IDA dark sky place, <clears throat> you, you have to put in a yearly report or a regular report so that you are shown to be maintaining that certification as a place. But these are still relatively rare. You know, there's a couple hundred of these things now and they're growing and they're absolutely great to, mm -hmm. to go into. I've been involved with a couple of them myself. Uh, this is a fantastic example of experiential lighting. You go there and you can see the stars mm -hmm. and you still have enough light to do what you need to do. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a great example, visual, and they're all over the world. But we don't have what you're talking about. And that is a way to really enforce, let's say, a, a t town that puts a uh, a line in a in a city code somewhere that says light shall not be glaring, you know whatever that means. We, we need to have some way to put that in proper terms so that it really is enforceable, so it becomes understood by the council people uh, who want it there and the citizens who who want to see it enforced. And we haven't really gotten that far yet, but. There is some light on that horizon, and that is, I know that the IDA and the IES are working together on that sort of thing. Uh, there, is, there is a model lighting ordinance ordinance mm -hmm. that we've had for a number of years. It, you know, Ben, you wrote it. I know. <laughs> he, was, he tells he me every time I talk to him. <laughs> yeah, he's proud of that one. <laughs> but <sighs> but it, it, it was a little too legal and a little too strong. And I can say that in the most positive way possible because it, it has served us fairly well. But what we didn't take into account with that was the fact that some of this stuff just slips in as a sentence here and, the, and there. It needn't be in long paragraphs of legalese. It's got to be some places and sometimes 
in very simple to understand language that is a sentence or two inserted as part of another requirement at a city council meeting or that's whatever. enforceable by people that other, that, yes. that, that the violators yes. can understand and it's not written in complex lighting jargon that i'll give yes. you an example i live on a i live on a rural property in an area that has nice like you can it's not you know it's not northern canada but it's a nice little pocket in close to toronto that there isn't a lot of stuff but they built an industrial park just north of mm. it, and they've been selling off these buildings, one by uh, these plots of land, one by one. And I'm 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 all for development and industry, and that place is zoned for that. And there's lots of rural land, but every time one of these goes up, they have a wall of five thousand k wall packs, and you can literally in you you do like a three sixty on my roof. It's darkness, darkness, dark. There's the town of Stouffville, darkness, darkness, and then boom, there's this enormous white glary mass of nastiness up there okay and it's really gross actually when you see it it's like a it's like a really white glow that just going into the sky and all they need to do is contact the manufacturer of their light fixtures and put a shield like i wouldn't even say change the fixture at this point to to, to 3000k or lower just put a shield on it so the light's not all going up into the air and spilling onto my farm and my neighbor's farm and all this sort of stuff like there's no way to enforce that you call the bylaw office; they have no idea what you're talking about when you call them. Uh-huh. You know, and it'd be, and it wouldn't even. What would it cost them? You know, a thousand bucks to put shields on their on their wall packs? It's we're not talking about a ton of money, you know, and <sighs> yeah. it, it's it, it's probably on the books in the town that they can't do that. You know what I'm saying? And there, we have to find a way to reach those bylaw officers and empower them. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so that lighting distributors can get, can advise that person. Yeah, I know you got that, you know, that paperwork, but thankfully you don't have to change all your fixtures. You just have to, you know, RAB makes their shield for that fixture and it's model number 6147 and it costs 40 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. and you're done. Um, so I, I think the lighting industry could really, I don't know how we would do it. It's a very big problem, but a way to connect with those, if there's an association of bylaw officers of America, I'm sure there is, right? If we could connect with them and tell them we're here for them and in support, and these are the certifications and so on, I think we could really start to make, we're talking about a 10 to 15 year plan here. We could really start to make some inroads there. Um, do you have any ideas to add to that with respect to enforcement? Not particularly, except I agree with the idea. And, you know, it's something we've struggled with for a while. And IDA has addressed it a couple of times. And it's always good to look for new folks that you can associate with that have a a link to this. And I, again, that's why I like the idea of IDA linking up with uh, IES and with IES linking up with Nailed and some of these other folks that are really more on the front lines. But it's it's got to reach the consumer somehow. And so education mm-hmm. is what all these organizations do best. They all do it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got ways to, to reach people. Get, you know, press releases, I find, are one of the most effective ways of calling people's attention to a problem that's ever existed. Putting out a good press release that people can relate to just does wonders. So to me, it's getting in the popular press. It's getting into stuff that people read every day, whether that's on social media or anything else. You got to get it in front of people before they pay attention. And they do pay attention. There are so many good people out there who are saying, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got an environmental problem. 
light is part of that. What can we do? And that's when we should hit them with a press release that says, here's some things you can do. One, two, three. And we're getting better at it. Oh, there's no question. But we've mm -hmm. got a ways to go. And, you know, I, I listen, in terms of mitigation, the lighting industry has done its part in respect to reducing electricity consumption. I mean, there's no industry that has really <laughs> contributed more than us. I mean, you have to say it. There's like HVAC doesn't even oh, yeah. come close. Yeah, no, gold, gold star. You know, if, if our cars were as efficient as our light bulbs, we would we wouldn't be having a gasoline price problem right now. <laughs> Let's not go down that road. <laughs> but yeah, the gasoline. No, I don't want to do that. Talking, <laughs> you're talking about you hear about that all day, and then everyone's got their reason why. But I, I agree with you. If we could make more efficient vehicles, but the lighting industry, like you never hear about that, like 70, 80 percent efficiency gains. Like that's crazy that we were able to accomplish that. It's amazing. Um, yes, it's 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 a real story of innovation and and getting it out to people. Deployment. So they have it in their in their yeah deployment in their bedside lamp. You know that's what we've ma managed to do now over the past ten to twenty years. And you know gold stars to everybody for mm -hmm. that one because it it has worked and energy is being saved. And I have to say. Lighting quality is not only being preserved, but we have the opportunity to even do it better with LEDs because of their ability to be dimmed and now color changing and costs still going down. The cost of an LED bulb today is less than a cost of a halogen incandescent lamp. And who would have thought that 10 years ago? It's amazing. It really is amazing. And, and you know, when you, when you think about um, that the industry on its own, and there and there's people that you know whose heads are in the sand. There are sure you know we're grabbing them and pulling them out, you know. But the industry is really on its own, is converting to this quality of light. It would be moving faster if we actually, you know, what the work of you know people like Dr. Mark Ray um, and mm -hmm. uh, Mar Dr. Mariana Figueroa and and these these types, they're really starting. The, lighting people know who those people are, which is amazing. And we're really starting to take a look at this and it's going to take time as well. It takes time to change and we want to do positive change. We don't want to, you know, do anything rash, but you're starting to see the lighting industry. I think the darkness issue is going to come along and it leads right into my final point from our committee, which is the incentive piece. Um, mm. Do you think that we'll ever see the kind of incentives that we saw for, you know, energy efficiency are we ever going to see programs like that to restore darkness or uh, preserve darkness where there's heavy rebates in that? Wow. Not unless we can find some kind of a fund, environmental fund that would be willing to finance something like that. But obviously uh, energy isn't the way to do it because the energy savings now are going to be relatively minor. Mm -hmm. So we would have to find some environmental reason, you know, and, and there could well be, you know, there could be some things we find out yet about the environment where light is concerned that would cause uh, such a funder to appear or an organization to be developed. I, I don't see that on the horizon with, with stuff that I encounter, but it has to be obviously a very high magnitude that, that people relate to as well. and. There could be some magic in there that I don't understand, and I hope there is, but I don't see it at the moment. 
Yeah, there is a there is an energy efficiency piece to the darkness argument or the dark sky. Yes, argument, there but is. it's not a major yes. piece. You're not going to be not reducing major, by right. seventy or eighty percent. But you know, you you look. What I always think about when it comes to the incentives is, hey, the good news is, this industry knows how to do incentives, and mm -hmm. they're locally managed. Or not? I don't know about locally, but like jurisdictionally managed appropriately. So Ontario has its own program, you know, Massachusetts has its own program and it works for in those areas and the people are in place. So we already have sort of that human resources infrastructure. We have the idea, everybody knows how to sell with incentives. And you may think it's ridiculous, but a lot of people, a lot of industries don't have rebates or they have manufacturer rebates or something. Like this industry knows how to work with utilities and you know engineers and different stakeholders to get to solve the environment or help solve an environmental issue like too much electricity use we want to reduce that how do we do it we're going to use these incentives that infrastructure is in place and it works um so that's in place it, like you said if we could find a business case if we could make the case somehow some way that this is a societal benefit that I, I, like I said, the way the guys came up with it in the committee, they really have the right path, alignment, advocacy, training, certification, enforcement, and incentives. If we could figure mm -hmm. out how to do that, I think we'd really you'd see this thing blow up, Terry. I, I agree with that. And, and, of course, our friends at the electric utilities are in a great position to pioneer that. Um, it doesn't fit with the kind of programs they're looking at today. Mm -hmm. but it does fit and traditionally of course utilities and lighting have worked together very closely and have done some great things in, in terms of getting efficiency programs which you know you think about it an efficiency lighting efficiency program is not a money maker for a utility no. but they did it anyway and you know they had incentives to do it and there was agreement on utility commissions that this this is a good thing because we could reduce load and do all the other good things that aren't quite as commonly known, but they're still important to utilities. So if we can find a, a group like that, an industry like that, that would benefit from this, I think then we would have a, a much better handle. Uh, I don't know of one, but uh, it doesn't mean that we can't keep looking. Well, we got to stay, we, like, this is why we need, um, I think that's what goes back to me for the training or the education piece, which is where yes. we start, we start informing people, you know, about the ethical case, how to do it, how to specify the different reasons why, and all this kind of thing. And you get more people thinking about it. And the more people think about it, the more it becomes on their radar, the more they want to do it. And I think, you know, you'll, we'll find the business case. We'll, we'll seek it out. And then what you said about utilities is interesting. I don't know if how all utilities work, but I, I, you know, I believe that they all have this structure where they are guaranteed a profit. They're allowed to make a percentage of profit. It's like a regulated thing in the yes. market. So they make, they're allowed to make eight, Toronto Hydro is allowed to make 6% profit or 8% profit or whatever. And so th they literally adjust the electricity costs because why would they pay you to lose, use less of their product? Nobody ever does that unless they can adjust the price. Right. And that's the reason they were able to do it is they're able to increase the cost of electricity to reflect the the you know, the if people were using less of it. Um, but I mean, I think the infrastructure is in place to be able to pull something like this off. And what a wonderful gift it would be to so many people in the world um, and, you know, in America and Canada, at least if we were able to give them back their dark skies and be able to 
you know all the different business case for darkness it would be wonderful any final thoughts Terry, for the for the listeners well uh, yeah i i just have to comment on what you just said and that sure. is of course we've 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 done that with utilities over the years we find them willing partners and they they know what they're doing they have extensive networks they you know they send out a monthly bill and uh, you know, i remember when we used mm -hmm. to put lighting incentives in in monthly utility bills so people would take advantage of those so the ways are there if we can come up with a clever idea that benefits us all and and i think we can do that but i i just had one one final thought i guess on this whole thing remember what it's all about we're we're after dark skies we're after a way so that we can continue to see that sky show that's up there and available mm -hmm. to us at no charge uh, for low these many thousands of years. And I've been using these this phrase uh, when I sign some of my emails these days. Remember, life is not complete until you have seen your shadow by the light of the stars. Hmm. I think that's the goal. That's my goal anyway. I, I want to be able to go out on a dark night and I want to be able to look at the Milky Way. No moon. Let's be Let's be fair here see our shadow by the light of the stars that's called success Whew, i think that's a good place to call it terry and um if you've made it to the end here uh with terry and i and and i know there's there's quite a few people that listen to this show we thank you but we're also looking um uh for a co-host to start off and perhaps host the show i mean i love doing it but you know, I think it has a broader audience than, than really the lighting distribution community. So if you are think you have what it takes to be a podcaster on the Restoring Darkness podcast, email info at nailed.org. That's I-N-F-O at N-A-I-L-D dot org. And I know I speak on behalf of Terry when I say we love you guys out there. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Ariamax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness. <laughs>